Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. And then uh, we have a Psalms to read. Is that after? Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with a harp. Make music to him. On ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of unfailing love. The word of the Lord were the heavens made, the starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into the storehouse. Let us all fear the Lord. Let us all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts those who propose his people. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever the purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all that live on the earth. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope in his unfailing love, to deliver from the death and keep alive during famine. We wait in the hope of the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, our Lord, even as we put our hope in you.
with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. His love endures forever for the lives that can reborn. His love endures forever.
In Luke 22 and 1 Corinthians 11, we hear a command from Jesus Christ to remember. Remember me. I'm going to read something here. Remember this so many times, both after and before. Remember blood that Jesus shed upon the cross he bore. Remember stripes upon his back from whips that made the wound. Remember the day he knew would come that he'd be in the tomb. Remember for the meal his disciples shared upon our memorial day. Remember me when you do this, Christ's words that he did say. And so I say to all of you, remember what was said. He died upon the cross that day, but is no longer dead. Remember now his death and blood shed on that wooden cross and celebrate our risen king who saves us with his loss. We not only do communion to remember, but we do it to celebrate his risen from the dead. That he is our risen Lord and he is our king of kings. Father, we thank you so much for the sacrifice that Jesus made upon the cross that shed his blood that saved us all. For in Christ's name we pray.
How's everybody doing? Pretty good? That's good. It's good to see so many new faces here and so many old faces. So um, we're, yeah, especially yours. <laughs> okay. But uh, Amy's couldn't be here today, so she asked me to do announcements. And um, we have pill bottles um, that we're collecting. They can be over-the-counter bottles um, that you get your vitamins in or anything like that. And um, they use them to fill different things to send them not only here in the United States, but out into other countries. Matthew 25 does that. So we're very thankful for that. So if you have any, um, there's a bend out front. Just uh, put them in there. We also have ink cartridges, um, which helps to pray a little bit of the cost of office supplies. So um, if you have any empty ink cartridges, instead of just throwing them away, bring them in and, and we'll use them. We'll get them uh, recycled. Next. <laughs> okay, we have our food pantry and clothes closet. That's uh, the first Saturday of every month and every Thursday. And um, I know I work with, with this on Thursday nights and um, the first Saturday. And it's just a true blessing. So if you guys want to be blessed, um, you know, come in and work with us, you know once or twice you might you might like it and come back every week i know uh jonathan around here where's jonathan i know he's here somewhere there he is he's been coming in and helping and we like it when some of the men come because uh they're they're strong and they can help uh some of the women carry their stuff out to the car so it's really nice so um next we have our women's bible study um we're doing max Licato's book on uh Galatians. So that starts March the 3rd, so in a few weeks. So if you're a woman and you're available at 10 o'clock, you know, come on out to see us. It's going to be at Ruth's house. And Sharon um, is leading the, there she is, and Sharon is leading the, uh, the study. So it ought to be good. Okay, we have Christy back there who leads us in refit. Uh, it's on Tuesday and Thursday nights at 6, 6.30. So come on out to that. Um, like even even me, <laughs> who can hardly move sometimes, uh, you know, you just get out there and you just move. And if you, can, if you can keep up with Christy, awesome. And if you can't, you just move at your own speed, but at least you're moving. So um, God gave us our bodies to move, so use it or you'll lose it. Okay. And tithes and offerings, straight back in the back. There's a box back there if you feel so led to give um, back a portion of what God gave you. Uh, feel free to do so. You know, it's uh, you're not shamed if you do, and you're not shamed if you don't. So uh, God bless you, and have a good day. Thanks, Carol. Trying to get my sermon up, and as Carol said, I better move it or lose it. Hmm. So I was just thinking, and I was thinking about what an honor it is 
to have in our possession the Word of God and the privilege to discuss it and learn from it. It's amazing to think all over the world, people are going to talk about this amazing book because through Jesus, God's message has been spread throughout the world. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words never will pass away. What a claim to make. Who else in the world could ever say that and it have come true? There are some quotes and even books that have stood the test of time, but nothing to this degree. And certainly no one person has ever made that claim and it happened to this degree like Jesus. With that in mind, I'm going to continue in the teaching of spiritual warfare in the armor of God, specifically the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. We will be in Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. And when you have found those passages and are ready, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Finally, be strong in the Lord's mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You may be seated. As I mentioned earlier, the armor we will be learning about today is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In Ephesians 6, its Greek meaning is translated spoken word. I used to think it was so amazing that I could tell Alexa to turn the Christmas lights on and turn the thermostat on. Uh-oh, it heard me. Of course, sometimes I have to repeat myself and Alexa would misunderstand. And look for something I wasn't asking for, like ways to buy Christmas lights. The words of God are so powerful. Unlike me, and we'll just say A so my tablet doesn't go off, when God says something, it's going to happen flawlessly. Remember, he spoke everything into existence. Think about how powerful that is. God doesn't say, let there be light, and it takes a couple of tries. When God says something, it will happen. How and when he wants it to happen. Also, God speaks to his people. So God has spoken to his prophets in the past through various ways to his people. In these last days, God has spoken through his son. And we can find this in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed 
heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. There are some things we need to consider with these verses. Does that mean Jesus' words that he spoke on this earth are the last to ever be spoken by God? No. Should we seek to hear him and have communication on a personal level, level, desiring dreams and words of knowledge? Absolutely. I've experienced that. Most importantly, what does this mean? We already know God spoke through his apostles, so we know that doesn't mean God only communicates through the spoken words while Jesus was on this planet. Also the fact that there is a book of Hebrews and the New Testament books in the Bible. So we know God still communicates to his people, not just through his past words while on the earth. So then, what does this mean that in the last days, God decided to speak through his son? Well, in the context of Hebrews, Jesus is compared to Moses here. Like how Moses gave the laws, law, Jesus gives new commands. Well, how do we know that? We have to read Hebrews 3, 1 through 6 to find out what God means about speaking through his son in these last days and why it's worth listening to. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He, is, or he was faithful to the one who he appointed him. Just as Moses was faithful in all God's house, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Just as it, the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself, for every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to the confidence in the hope which we glory. If you don't know the Old Testament, this verse will fly over your head. In other words, Moses was faithful, or his faithfulness was amazing, well above other people. Even more amazing is Jesus in his faithfulness. We really need to read the Old Testament, especially if we want to understand Paul. So in verse 2, Hebrews quotes the Old Testament, Numbers 12. The quote, faithful in God's house refers to why God spoke to Moses on such an intimate level. To understand this, we need to find out the relationship between God and Moses. God had a very special relationship with Moses. I don't think we fully grasp what that's like, but the Bible gives us a glimpse of what that was like. We will start out in Exodus 33. 7 through 11. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meaning. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meaning outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, a pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance of the tent. So just picture that big cloud above the tent moving when Moses goes in there. While the Lord spoke with Moses, 
whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of their own tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face, as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Isn't it amazing how God's people worship God? Because God heard their prayers through Moses and would answer them. It wasn't Moses speaking to the congregation. He spoke the word of God. When we pray in the name of Jesus, it's not like we just throw the word Jesus and we're heard. We are saying through Jesus, we have access to the Father, like when Israel had to go through Moses. Just as Jesus is a mediator, Moses was a mediator. So why did God choose Moses? Well, remember, Moses didn't want to be God's prophet. At the burning bush, Moses told God not to choose him because he was slow of speech. Again, this passage shows how special it was for Moses and God. If we look in Numbers 12, 1 through 9, it reads, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. She was not an Israelite originally. For he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? They asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So all three of them went out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud. There's that cloud again. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned them. When the two of them, or he summoned Aaron and Miriam, not Moses. When the two of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he had left them. This says God speaks intimately with Moses. Also, because of God's favor on Moses, unlike the others, he spoke clearly. This makes you think maybe he didn't like the Apostle John so much. Talk about not speaking clearly. He's the one who wrote Revelation. Of course, I'm just kidding about that. He loved John. Moses is faithful in all God's house. Not just somewhat faithful, but fully surrendered to follow God. Consistently seeking God's direction so Moses can follow him carefully. Then after he hears from God, Moses can lead God's people in which he dearly loved. Numbers 12 and Exodus 33 say that he spoke to Moses face to face. Now I want to clarify, he wasn't saying he was able to look at God's face. It's more that he was able to stand in the presence of God and communicate 
without dying like the rest of the house or congregation. One more verse that shows Moses was separate and special among his people is Deuteronomy 5, 24 27. And you said, The Lord our God has shown us his glory and his majesty. We have heard his voice from the fire. Today we have seen that a person can live even if God speaks with them. But now, why should we die? The great fire will consume us, and we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord, our God, any longer. For what mortal has ever heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the fire as we have and survived? Go near, this is what the congregation says to Moses, go near and listen to all that the Lord our God says. Then tell us whatever the Lord our God tells you, and we will listen and obey. See, God gave Moses a special ability to be able to hear his voice and not die. I'm not sure if the congregation was going through feeling like they were having a heart attack or if there was pain involved, but they said they couldn't stand it any longer to hear God's voice. They literally thought they would die. It sounds like they probably would have if they stayed. The congregation was content to follow God's instructions through Moses because God didn't give them the ability to hear like Moses did. This is how God's people got the original commands. God spoke to Moses and he spoke to the people. Now we have Jesus as our mediator. Like Moses, he gave us commands on this earth to follow and obey as we walk in faith to the promised land. In Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19, we can find how Moses is telling us about Jesus and how his role is similar. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him, for this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see the great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they have said is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them every command that I give. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. This Old Testament verse has a ton to do with the New Testament or new promise. Now we jump into the conversation with Jesus and the Pharisees regarding this verse we just read. Jesus is explaining he is a prophet from Deuteronomy 18. We can find this in John 5, 44 through 47. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek glory that comes from the only God? But do you think I will accuse you before the Father? Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed in Moses, you would have believed in me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to say you believe what I said? We are to depend on Jesus like the Israelites 
believe Moses. We can't follow if we don't believe and seek what Jesus says. Like the Israelites following the commands passed on by Moses, we are to follow the word of God spoken by Jesus in these last days. That's where you will hear from God the most. You start with the Gospels, and the rest of the text will agree with them. Also, if you start with the Old Testament, the Gospels have to agree with them. Otherwise, our interpretations are wrong. Sometimes we get to hard passages, and we may never understand them, and that's okay. But we should thoroughly investigate the Scriptures using the whole Bible. The Pharisees didn't want to do that. Over and over, they used human wisdom instead of listening to the warning in Deuteronomy 18. So how do we figure out what the Spirit taught Paul about this armor in Ephesians? There are tons of directions you could go with this, especially if we use our imaginations of what we do with swords and how that relates to battle. But I don't want to be like those Pharisees and rely on human wisdom. I think we should use godly wisdom and prayer to investigate before we start uncovering what specifically the Spirit taught. I want to take two places in the Bible where I think Paul addresses this. First, we will look at Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. Some say this might not be Paul, but I don't see how it's not without Hebrews is written. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, even dividing the soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And then also I want to look at a second one here, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. And this is definitely Paul. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that set itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Why these verses? Well, this is an armor meant to be a weapon. The other armors are designed for protection. Even though, from my time in serving in prison ministry, I learned almost anything could be used as a weapon. The sword in this context of these verses are used for God's kingdom to stand against the devil's schemes in the spiritual battles. We don't use them for selfish reasons. We use it to penetrate where the enemy attacks. Your soul and your spirit. When you have thoughts and attitudes contrary to God's kingdom, the sword of the Spirit can cut through to the depths of your heart. It judges the attitudes and thoughts of your heart. Nothing is covered or hidden from God's sight. Recently, my family and I went on a trip to Gatlinburg. While we were there, Isaac and I decided to go on a ropes course. Before we could go on the course, we had to stand on a scale. When Isaac stepped on the scale, his weight looked higher than I thought it would be. When I stepped on the scale, it registered about 30 pounds higher than I thought it would be. So when I got, when I saw Sarah, I told her, man, their scale must have been broken. 
And she laughed and said, Isaac's weight is correct. Then I got home and I told her, I said, what are the chances of two broken scales? This one has me 30 pounds heavier too. Of course, the scale was right. God's word is our scale. It's flawless. His words judge the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Even when we don't know why we have some of the attitudes and thoughts, the word of God brings it out into the open. It's alive and active all the time like a miracle drug that saves us from a sinful lifestyle. The weapon or the sword, as it's called in Corinthians 10, captures the thoughts that have made have made it into your mind and are attacking your heart. You capture them and you make your thoughts obedient to the spoken word of God and all that is written in the Gospels. We have the spoken words of Jesus miraculously preserved and written for us to study and memorize. The arguments and the pretensions that set itself against the knowledge of God are increasing in strength and number. Here locally, and in the United States. So it's important not to make the Word of God ineffective in our lives. Here are some things that we need to watch out for so we don't make the sword ineffective. First, don't allow yourself to shape the Word of God. Follow or follow the examples of people who do. We find this in Matthew 15, 5 through 6. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever it profits you might have received from me is a gift of God. Then he need not to honor his mother or father. Thus you have made the commandments of God of no effect by your tradition. We have to be careful about our influences and how we approach the word of God. A strong emotion has the danger of influencing your perception of the word of God. We are to study and use the word of God to influence us to become like Jesus. If the word is used incorrectly, or if the word is used correctly, it should shape us. If we are not careful, we can try to shape it or be influenced by people who try to shape the word. There are a lot of people out there who unknowingly are, designed, are following ideas shaped by men who use the word incorrectly. Unfortunately, false gospels have been spreading pretty much since the beginning of Christianity. Uh, Jude is a good example of that. So that whole book is one chapter. Second, memorize it. Proverbs 7, 1 through 3. My son, keep my commands. I'm sorry. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live. In my law as an apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them in the tablet of your heart. How does the word of God help us if we don't have it in our heart? Life happens at real time. When you're getting attacked by the enemy, it's good to have the sword on you. Third, this goes along with the last one. Don't undervalue the word of God. Psalms 19, 9 and 10. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all 
of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from a honeycomb. I heard a saying before, if you want to make sure a driver doesn't fall asleep behind the wheel, have them hold a $100 bill out the window when they drive. If you value something enough, you will do whatever it takes to keep it. Fourth, study and memorize the word with faith. Expecting things to happen and believing it will. Unlike those who missed that Jesus was the Christ that was predicted through Moses. Also in Hebrews 4, 2, it reads, For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was to no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Obedience is a result of faith. If we don't believe in Jesus, we won't do what it says. His word does us no good if we don't obey. Jesus tells us not to even call him Lord if we don't obey. I will leave us with this last verse that I think applies to most people who go to church, including myself. Hebrews 2, 1 through 3. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to do what we have heard, so that we do not drift away for the message that was spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore, and some translations say, neglect so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who have heard him. Let me go ahead and uh, close in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you that you have given us our, your word. I just pray that you would give us a special ability to memorize it, to, to soak and write in the tablet of our hearts. I pray that you would empower us to use it day to day and use it to bring your kingdom on this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed.